If you have a Bible with us, um, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 18. The verses will be on the screen as well. There's a bunch of Bibles over here, too. Uh, Chuck and Kevin are uh, hoarding them over there. So, um, even though they brought their own. Come on, guys. you got to share. Uh, Anybody need one? Okay. All right. Tonight, we're going to... Um, Take a pretty deep look, I think, at verses 1 through 30 um, as we return to our 2017 series on the book of Luke. Um, and we're going to be calling this talk um, A Life Truly Surrendered. We're going to be looking at four separate stories of Jesus, um, a couple of them parables and a couple of them in real life situations, where Jesus, I think, teaches us something about surrender, what it means to live a life surrendered. And I think this word um, surrender in our culture, it often speaks of, of losing, uh, of giving up, of throwing in the towel. I think we tend to look at this word pretty negatively. Um, when we surrender, we're letting go of our control, we're refusing to fight, and we're letting the bad guys win. That's kind of what comes to my mind when I initially think of surrender and actually my iPad just turned my notes off. That's pretty awesome. So, hold just a second. I wish I had it memorized, and I don't. I'm surrendered to my iPad right now. It decided to install an update at this moment. So, shoot. Okay, there we go. I'm back. We'll just cut that out of the podcast later, so... We're just slaves to our technology, so we're surrendered to them. You want to borrow a Bible time? I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Man, what do us young pastors do without our iPads? Man, Richard would have just taught something off the top of his head. But um, when I think of surrender, I think of like, like what if America just like let the Nazis win in World War II, right? Doesn't that like seem like surrender? Like what if we just let them run over us, right? That's kind of what I think of. But there's this biblical surrender that that looks totally different from what our worldly impression of surrender looks like. When I think of how biblical surrender has played out in my own life, I always come back to those moments where I'm at youth summer camp, right? Um, On my face before Jesus, um, where he's just loving the deepest parts of my heart and my soul, right? I've, I've completely, I remember those moments where I'm like literally like laid out flat on the ground before Jesus just saying, I surrender, I give you all of my stuff, all of my brokenness, all of my pain, and I know that in return, you will love me, right? You will receive me, you will accept me. I think of laying down my burdens and my pains only to be given love and peace in its place, right? There's this trade that happens in surrender, and it's not fair, right? We give God all of our garbage, and he gives us something incredible in return. It doesn't seem fair at all, right? Um, And I think of giving my life um, to God, um, to a God that is infinitely trustworthy and completely careful with the status of my heart, right? God isn't like, it's not like he's got all of our hearts in his hands, he's like juggling them up in the air, right? And he's like like doing tricks with them and like have to be concerned like whether God has our best intentions in mind, right? God is very careful with the conditions of our hearts. And this Um, condition of a life truly surrendered is what we're going to be discussing this evening. So we're going to dive in right in verse 1 and read through verse 8. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, 
he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I do not fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. This judge does not represent God, by the way, Um, but we can learn something. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? So we see here that Jesus is chatting with his disciples about how, as it quotes, they should always pray and never give up. Right? He's having this conversation with them. He is describing to us a godly persistence that regardless of the situation and regardless of our circumstances, that we are going to trust God to be a God of justice, right? To be the God of justice. He is the ultimate person of justice. And Jesus lays out a parable of a widow who comes to a judge day after day to settle her case and get a resolution. Again, this is not, um, God does not like is not the judge um, because he was an unjust judge and God is a just judge. But um, she literally um, drives the judge bonkers with her persistence and her determination to the point where he has no choice but to give her justice, right? Does anyone know somebody who's like this? Like this woman, right? That just drives you insane, right? Like they'll call you, they'll like, if, they, if you don't pick up your phone, they'll like Facebook message you, um, they'll post on your wall, they'll text you like every hour of the day or night. They're like expecting you to like text them back immediately, right? I had this kid in youth and he was like this all the time and we had to set some boundaries, but I just imagine <laughs> this kid is like the widow, like, like just driving me insane. It's like, I promise I'll call you back when I have time, right? Um, and this type of person is totally nuts, but incredibly driven and, and persistent. And Jesus tells us that if we come to him, our good father and godly friend, with our concerns, um, with this type of passionate, not going to take no for an answer way, won't he move on our behalf? Won't he work for us? He says, so don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night. Don't you think that God will listen? Don't you think that God is there? And this reminds me of Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. It says, you fathers, if, you ask, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? <laughs> what kind of dad would do that? Like, I don't even know where you get this. Um, of course not. So if you, are sin- if, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Remember that we serve an infinitely loving and compassionate God who cares deeply for our wants and our needs. He wants ultimately what is best for our lives, even if that isn't what we have in mind for ourselves. Right? I wish that if I just asked God for something that he would give it to me, right? Like, I think that I, like, know best, like, okay, God, like, here's the three things I need today, and then tomorrow I'd really like these things, and then the next day, right? But it just doesn't work like that. I always think of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where it says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, 
and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And you know what? It's funny to laugh about, but in this season of our lives, this is what Cassie and I are learning. That this pregnancy hasn't looked how we thought it would look. And it's been hard every day. We wake up every day and some moments are harder than others. But we have persistently and faithfully sought the Lord for his plans for our lives. Our plan would be that we would be totally healthy through 40 weeks and we would have this baby right when we're supposed to. But that is not how this has gone. This is not how this has looked. And our heart has been towards God. That God, we want a healthy and whole baby. But even if that doesn't come forth we will still love and praise your name. That's the choice that we will make. And it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always feel exciting to say that, but that is our heart towards God. And God calls us who are truly surrendered to be passionately persistent in our prayer lives, to pursue him with passion and persistence and energy. God, I'm going to keep coming to you. I'm going to keep coming to you. I'm going to keep coming to you. Even this this afternoon, Cassie was watching TV and I was in the other room and I I read my Bible and I just... I've never spent more time on my knees before God saying, God, I just need you to, to work in my life. I need you to do these things. <laughs> she had spent time with God before that. but uh, <laughs> Let's jump back in verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Uh, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so turning on a dime, Jesus um, dives into a parable directed at the religiously self-righteous disciples in his ranks. He's speaking to people who are following him. He's not just speaking to everyone. He's saying, guys, there's this self-righteousness that exists in even you who follow me who walk with me, who see my miracles, who see me, you know, feed the 5,000 and and do all these incredible things, right? And he shows us an image of two men who came to worship their God in the temple. One man, he puffs up his chest, he pulls out his checkbook, he straightens his perfect tie and dives into a perfectly prepared and lifeless prayer. Utterly lifeless and meaningless prayer that he offers to God. And he spends time not even really talking to God, but patting himself on the back for being such a good religious person. He says, I do all the right things. Unlike that schmuck over there, he's the biggest sinner in town, right? God, I'm pretty, I'm pretty great, man. Didn't you see like how good I got this thing? I should get, I should get some gold stars, right? I should get a little merit badge or something or a little patch I could put on my shirt. Um, like I'm a boy scout. (laughs) And the other man, Jesus describes, comes into the temple with his head down and tears and filled his eyes with thoughts of unworthiness and brokenness. 
He spends his time crying and beating his chest in anguish for the time that he lost without God and praising God for rescuing him out of the pit of hell that this life had for him. Jesus challenges us with how we think as Christians sometimes. We often end up, I think, being this Pharisee without even noticing it, without even thinking about it. Um, We pit ourselves, our deeds, and our lives against other humans who don't have it as together as we do. Um, Or we think that they don't have it together as we do. We start categorizing sin and people according to human ideas instead of the gospel. Um, We forget what it says in Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. And this doesn't mean that we wallow in... um, in sadness forever, but it means that we come to God with reverence, um, knowing that we haven't earned anything outside of what God has earned for us, right? We haven't made this happen. There's nothing that we have done in and of ourselves to bring us close to God. Nothing. Everything has been purchased for us. And God calls us into a place of deep humility that acknowledges our endless need for Christ in our lives. Deeper humility to me leads to deeper surrender in us. Saying, God, you know, I don't have this thing figured out. I haven't, I haven't become a good Christian. I don't even know what that means. Like, what does it even mean to be a good Christian? Like, I don't think that's possible. Like, we have a sin nature that is broken and messed up. And a, I think a good Christian is the second guy who just says, you know what, God, I don't have it figured out. I'm a broken man, and I don't have any of the answers, but you have them all. And I just thank you every day for the fact that you rescued me out of the pit of hell, and you brought me into life. I think that's what a good Christian looks like. That's what surrender looks like for us. Let's jump back to verse 15. I love this little section. One day some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus, that's hilarious. I don't think anyone has ever bothered Jesus. Like, I don't think it's possible to bother Jesus. Even the most annoying people in our lives could not bother. He's unbotherable. Like, he is beyond being bothered. Um, then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Um, Jesus is found in this story um, kicking back with with a bunch of kiddos um, who have come to him with the permission of their parents. They want them to bless their kids. I mean, if Jesus was around, like, I would want to take my kids and, like, get a blessing. I don't know how that works. I don't know if he, like, slings some holy water on us or, like, touch our foreheads. I don't know how it works. I would just want to bring my kids to Jesus, right? Um, so they bring him to Jesus. And I imagine that like Jesus is there like with one kid at each ankle, you know, like, like they, they don't want to let go. They're like last on your ankle and he's like trying to walk. He's got a couple kids in each arm and he got a bunch of other kids around him. Right. And his disciples, they come, um, they come to him and they say like, Jesus, like why get these kids away? Like he's got to spend this time with the real people, the adults. Right. Um, but if you look at scripture, you see his vast and deep love for kids. He literally says in one section of scripture that if you deceive or lead a child astray or damage them in some way, that that you might as well just tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the ocean. That's pretty extreme, right? 
if you mess with kids. Like, Jesus loves kids. Um, I think this, uh, if this isn't a promo for, like, having an amazing kids ministry, I, like, I don't know what it is. Like, this would be the scripture you would go to. Um, But Jesus says instead, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like little children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, will never enter it. I believe that God is calling us to childlikeness. That doesn't mean that we stay a child. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't get like big boy and big girl jobs and like live life. I, I mean, we have, uh, I know a lot of, this is a young man disease, I feel like in some ways. I know a lot of young men who have a hard time like taking the leap from like, uh, like a boy to a man. Like let's do big boy things, right? Um, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about having a heart attitude um, that, that as a kid, I, I remember um, that, that I just loved Jesus and I worshiped him with like reckless abandon. I didn't know everything. I didn't know like, you know, I didn't know about the Trinity. I didn't know about like transfiguration or like <laughs> all this crazy Old Testament stuff or like why this stuff happened in Joshua. And if a loving God was this way, why would, I didn't know any of that stuff like, and it didn't matter to me. All I knew was like that this Jesus that they talked about seemed pretty incredible. And that when I spent time singing and worshiping and being around these people, like I got joy from that. That's what I knew, right? I didn't have to have all the answers, right? I knew that Jesus loved me and wanted the best for my life. There was no cynicism. There was no prejudice. There was no limits and there were no fears. There was instead a spirit of faith and a spirit of adventure as a kid. That like the sky was the limit, like that people told me like that Jesus had big plans for my life. And I believed it, right? Instead of as an adult, we get this cynicism and we, oh, well, we've got to like take scripture and we've got to fight it over here and do these things. And I got to understand all this stuff. And why does God, it's like, at some point, I think we just have to go back to that childlike faith that just says, you know, I don't know all the answers. But what I do know is that there's this God who just seems to love me. And he seems pretty good to me. Like, and that's pretty amazing. And you know what? Maybe on this side of earth, I'm never going to have those answers that I want to those hard questions. Why do good things happen to, I mean, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, I, I don't know why that happens. You know, why, why, why do things not go the way that I want them to? Why, why does God not listen to me as much as I think he should? I don't know these things. But at some point, we have to let go of the things we don't know and hold on to the things that we do know, which is the fact that God loves us and cares for us. And I think that God is calling us back to a life with him that is filled with faith and adventure and a childlike Christianity. Um, I just think of those people that I know that have first come to know Christ um, and they're just pumped, man. They're just like excited. And they got their Bible and they're opening it. And I, I, they just come to you and like ask you all these questions about like, well, I was reading this today and I don't understand that. And I was reading that and I was praying and God was speaking this to me. And there's just like this like, I don't have to have it all figured out kind of mentality. And I think God is bringing us back to that in our lives. Let's jump back to the words of Dr. Luke. Let's finish this passage off in verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard this answer, he said, There is still one more thing you haven't done. 
Sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have the treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard is it for, a rich, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? He replied, What is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, We left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. And so we finished this talk tonight um, on a life truly surrendered with a conversation between Jesus and a religious leader, which seems like a common thread in the book of Luke. We're just like, God, I mean, Jesus, how many religious leaders are you going to talk to in this, um, in this environment? Well, we, we've already talked about the fact that, like, the religious leaders were, like, his unwanted entourage, right? They, like, like, he had his disciples, and then he had, like, his outer disciples, and then these religious leaders just kind of followed him around because they wanted to find some way to trip him up. They basically were just trying to, like, stab him in the back, right? So they'd follow him around, ask all these hard questions, and... And some of them would come with real questions and they would get saved and they would follow God and there's these really cool stories that have happened. Um, but there's this religious leader who asks this simple question, right? I think it's very, fairly simple. What should I do to inherit uh, eternal life? Um, and Jesus lays out the simple stuff, right? He says, like, like don't kill people. Um, don't sleep with another man's wife. Uh, don't steal. Don't lie. Um, and be good to your parents. Like Those are like pretty straightforward, I feel like, like basics to like being a good person, right? Don't do those things. Um, and he knows um, when he says this, I think he knows that the religious leader would have done all of these things, right? Um, because that's what religion looks like. That's what this man's religion looked like. Religion is doing all the right things, hoping that God might like you. Um, so he was just hoping that God might like him because he does the right things, right? But then Jesus says, Um, Hold on. Uh, There's still one more thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And actually, I think he kind of is a little bit misleading in that. Um, He actually says two things. The first thing he says, give up all your stuff. Um, Get rid of all that stuff and give it away. And then second, he says, join me on the road. Come on, man. Let's jump on the wagon here. Let's head on to the next town. Let's be one of my disciples. Let's do this thing together. I'm going to teach you some stuff, right? And it says that this made the man very sad uh, because he had a lot of money, he had a lot of cash, he had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of, I don't know what kind of things would have been wealthy things back then. I don't know, maybe gold or silver or um, donkeys or livestock. I don't know what, what made you rich back then, you know, what the Mercedes of that day was or Tesla or whatever. Um, but basically, he says back to Jesus, like, Jesus, this is just this is too much. This, this, I just, all that other stuff, those other five things you told me to do, like, that sounds good, but like, ah, my money, I don't think so. I think, I, I think I'm good. Um, and Jesus replies to him, um, what is impossible for people is, is possible with God. And see, the religious leader, he, he was okay with doing all the right things. Right? He was okay with doing the right actions, but he didn't really want to give God his heart. Um, that was off limits. He didn't have um, this kind of Ruth chapter one. I love Ruth. If you haven't read the book of Ruth, you need to. It's like an incredible book of the Bible. But Ruth is saying to Naomi, which is her um, 
mother-in-law, um, this, this, this uh, phrase that I think applies to us in Jesus. I think it foreshadows us in Jesus. And it says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And that is what Jesus is asking from this man. Will you go where I go and will you do what I do and will I really be your God? Will you go and do whatever I tell you to do? And he really wasn't willing to give up what he loved most to follow God. Surrender requires that we make Jesus number one in our lives. There's no place for Jesus to be number two. He doesn't play that role, right? If he was on, if he was, uh, on the Cavaliers, okay, he would be LeBron James, okay? <laughs> he can't be Kyrie. He can't be Kevin Love. He can't be somebody else. He's not like the third guy off the bench. He's LeBron James. He's the Michael Jordan of our lives, right? He's number one in us. Um, I had to get a sports reference in there someplace. Um, the religious leader was concerned with looking right, but Jesus was focused on having a right heart, right? Um, and it reminds me of Samuel, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 17, where um, this is about King David, and um, he's the runt of the litter, and God picks him, right? Um, the Lord doesn't see the things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but God, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so a life truly surrendered requires a heart completely given over to Christ. It isn't behavior modification, but a heart transformation. It's not about us just doing the right things. And if it was, I mean, how many religions out there would, would say that they know God, right? There's some, I, I mean, most of the Mormon friends that I have are way better at doing good things than, than I am, right? They're just, they're really, they're really good at it. But there's no heart behind it. It's just behavior modification. It's just saying, I'm going to do all the right things. And then maybe, maybe just maybe, I cross my fingers, hope to die, that God will like me. Right? Um, so tonight we looked at four items that Jesus um, shows us lead to a surrendered life. The first one is persistence in prayer. The second is humility. The third one is Christ, um, childlikeness. And the fourth is a surrendered heart. And we can see over and over in Scripture that Jesus never looks at spirituality the same way that we do. Instead, he calls us to live a life of loving surrender, knowing that his ways are better than our ways. And as we willingly lay our lives at his feet, he takes the mess and makes something beautiful out of us. He gives us hope for the future and purpose for today. So the question tonight is how can we live lives more surrendered to our good, good Father. What does that look like for us? How can we live a life that says, you know what, God, um, maybe in this season of my life, I, I haven't put you number one. Maybe you've been number two or three or four or five. Or, or maybe today you feel like number one and tomorrow you're number two. But how, how do I, God, put you in your rightful place in my life? Saying that I will go where you go and I will do what you do and your people will be my people. How do we do that? How do we live that life? So I'm gonna pray for us. And then um, we're going to break off into groups for prayer. I don't have any discussion questions tonight, um, but we're just going to take some time. I just want us to share in groups of probably four to six. Um, you can spread out throughout the house. There's no off-limits areas. Um, and just pray for each other. Just share, you know, small things, large things. God cares about them all. And then just take some time praying for each other. And then 
Marzi has prepared a delicious meal for us, so we appreciate that. So we're going to eat together. I think eating together is one of the most spiritual things we can do. So Jesus does it like right before he goes to the cross. So I think it's really important. Um, So Jesus, we thank you um, for your word. We pray, Lord, that we would live lives that are truly surrendered to you. Um, God, that we would live lives um, of persistence in prayer. That we would live lives of humility, knowing that we haven't earned or deserved any of this. That we would live lives of childlike faith saying, God, that there are endless possibilities of what you can do in our lives. Um, Setting aside the cynicism and the brokenness and just saying, God, um, I just trust you to work in my life. And God, we we just pray also that you would um, just give us a surrendered heart to you, God. We know that we can't do all the right things. We just, it's humanly impossible to be perfect. Um, But instead, God, we give our hearts to you and we say, God, you do with us what you want. And so, Lord, we just pray that this week we would put you in number one place in our lives, that you would be um, that you would be the king of our of our hearts. And we just pray that um, our time together would be sweet and amazing as we eat and fellowship and just spend time praying for one another. And uh, God, we're just so thankful for you in Jesus name. Amen. So uh, grab a few folks and feel free to move about the building. So, yes. Uh, this is my last Saturday yes. here. So I uh, just want to say thank you for welcoming me.